0: I want to welcome all of you here uh, this evening. Uh, my name is Mark. Uh, I'm one of the elders here at Hope Rock Church. I want to sp- uh, extend a special welcome to any guests that are here. And for our family members, our church family, uh, please remember to invite somebody to our Easter Sunday service. You know, it's so easy to feel gloom and doom on Good Friday, right? Right? I've seen so many posts today that said something along the lines of, well, today's Friday, dot, 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 but Sunday is almost here. And and there is some merit to that. We know that Jesus rose on the third day. We celebrate that on Sunday. But the last time I checked, uh, the cross was empty and the stone was rolled away. But that doesn't mean we discount or uh, take lightly what Jesus had to go through to take on our sin debt. So I want to recognize that and honor Jesus for that. But it's so easy for us as Christians to forget all the good that came out of his life, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, and his exaltation at the right hand of the Father. So this morning, this morning, this evening, (laughs) I want us to realize and recognize and come to understand why it's called Good Friday. Without a resurrection, or we could not have a resurrection without a crucifixion. And thank God we had a crucifixion with the resurrection, or all of this would be for naught. We'd be celebrating a dead God. Our God is not dead, he is alive. Our God did die, but he's not dead. And we'll take a look at that death here in just a few seconds. But can I pray for us so we can uh, take a look at God's word regarding what today means and what it means for us as Christians. Heavenly Father, I uh, just come before you just in awe that you loved me so much. Despite knowing what I was going to do with my life, the way I was going to rebel and sin against you and your holy word, you still died for me. And that same truth is for everyone here today who said yes to Jesus. I received that sacrifice for myself. You took on our guilt, our shame. Your punishment is our peace. And we are forever thankful for that. So I pray, Lord, today that you would speak to those who are believers, those who have been raised to newness of life by faith in Jesus. If there's somebody here tonight that does not know you or knows of you but does not know you personally, I pray that you would break through the hardened heart, the blinded eyes uh, the, the intellectual uh, wordplay or the mind games that are taking place to try to reconcile a God who came and died on a cross. The King of Jews, you called yourself. You were mocked, spit on, crucified. But there is historical evidence to prove and suggest that you are alive and well. And even if we did not have historical evidence, we have the word of God that says so. We hang on to that truth, to your very word, which tells us that he was raised from dead, from the dead to live forevermore and to be our king. Be with us here tonight, Lord. Speak to us, change us, encourage us, bless us. Help us to see that this Good Friday truly is good. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we pushed out a, a title for the, for the series, and tonight was God is Dead. It's sort of provocative, right? You know, God is not dead. Everyone here who is a Christ follower, you can testify to the fact that God is not dead because He lives in you. And you have this hope and this joy and a new life that you never could imagine that you would have apart from Him. Left to your own devices, your own strength, and your own intellectualism and ideas, you'd be the same person you were before you came to faith. But it's the Holy Spirit that has changed and resurrected your life. Amen? He is alive. So uh, did God die when Jesus died on the cross? Well, the answer is contingent on how we understand the definition of the word die. To die does not mean ceasing to exist. Death is simply separation of the soul and the spirit from the body. Physical death is when the soul spirit separates from the physical body leaving a corpse. That is death. In that sense, yes, God did die because Jesus was God in human form and Jesus soul, his spirit separated from his body. And we'll see that in John 19:30. However, if by death you or I or anybody says that he ceased to exist, you're wrong god did not die in that sense for it is impossible for god to be separated from the trinity the father the son and the holy spirit god did not cease to exist now i cannot in my infinite or finite mind imagine how god can take part of himself who is god and crucify him on the cross it wasn't the roman soldiers that crucified jesus it was god God sent His Son to be a sacrifice for us. Jesus even told the, uh, the tribunal, the Pontius Pilate, that the only reason that, that He's being handed over and crucified is because the Father allowed it. So when we talk about Jesus dying on the cross, yes, His body died, but His spirit immediately was in the presence of the Father. And He told the, the thief on the right the same thing, today you'll be with me in paradise. God is not dead, He did die, but He arose on the third day, and that's what we celebrate on Easter. So let's recount the scripture or the passages that talk about today's events. It might be a refresher for some of you, it might be brand new, but I think it's fitting that we take a look at what happened today, and it begins in John chapter 19, verse 1. This is after Jesus had gone before uh, uh, Pontius Pilate and before the high priest, and they're kicking them back and forth, trying to find some way to get him off the hook. Finally, they cave in and they give the, uh, the Jewish people in the crowd the option to either take their king, his proclaimed king, Jesus, or do you want Barabbas, a revolutionary a uh, a thief, a thug, who knows all that he uh, did or what he was doing to be incarcerated. But they said, "We want Barabbas. You take Jesus. You crucify him. We want Barabbas." So we pick up verse one of chapter nineteen. Then Jesus, or then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and clothed him in a purple robe. You know, when Pontius Pilate turned Jesus over to be crucified, their brutality began. You probably have all seen the Passion of the Christ, right? The Roman soldiers experienced in torture and execution, stripped him of his clothes, his garments, and likely chained him to a stone column. They whipped him repeatedly with a flagrum, a whip created with strands of leather that had metal balls woven into them. At the end of each strand were shards of, of, of pottery, glass, nails, bone, and twisted metal designed to grab the flesh and rip it apart from the skin. Picture Jesus as he was subjected to relentless blows. His back and his buttocks were brutally battered with each strike, leaving them, his flesh just mutilated, muscle and, and ligaments exposed. By the time the soldiers got done with him, his body had endured a gruesome transformation. And we see this in Isaiah 52, 14. It was prophesied centuries before this happened. Just as many were appalled at you, Jesus, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man. His form did not resemble a human being. Going back to John chapter 19. And they kept coming up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and were slapping his face. Pilate went outside again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is your man. When the chief priests and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate responded, Take him and crucify him yourself, yourself, since I find no grounds for charging him. We have a law, the Jews replied to him, and according to that law he ought to die, because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard the statement, he was more afraid than ever. He went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus did not give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? You would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered him, if it hadn't been given to you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. For that moment, from that moment, Pilate kept trying to release him. But the Jews shouted, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat down on the judge's seat in a place called the Stone Pavement, but in Aramaic, Gabatha. It was the preparation day for the Passover, and it was about noon. Then he told the Jews, here is your king. They shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Then he handed him over to be crucified. Then they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called place of the skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had a sign made and put it on the cross. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Don't write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate replied, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, a part for each soldier. They also took the tunic, which was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let's not tear it up, but cast lots for it to see who gets it. This happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled that says, they divided my clothes among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. This is what the soldiers did. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there. So they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now, this morning I was uh, laying in bed or, and, and this, thought, this thought kept popping in my head because I was wrestling with, you know, what am I Going to preach on tonight. I I mean, what else can I add to the story? I can't. I mean, it's been preached for centuries, and I and I I kept hearing in my mind, "Can anything good come out of Nazareth?" Like, what what does that mean? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And I realized it was a Bible verse, and it's first it's John one forty six, and as I laid there thinking, well, yeah, something good can come out of Nazareth. His name is Jesus. And I got to think, that's a lot like the world today. Can anything good come from Christianity? Can anything come from this supposed Savior of the world? I want to share with you what I believe are at least three good things that came about because of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Number one, let me suggest to you, that Jesus is greatly exalted because of his crucifixion. Now that doesn't make sense, does it? Someone who was crucified, the horrible death that he experienced, is somehow exalted. I'm looking at Isaiah 52:13. Let me share this with you. This is God speaking through his prophet. "See my servant." See, my servant will be successful. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. God exalted His Son because of His obedience on the cross. That is good news. Because if Jesus is God, I want my God to be high and lifted up and exalted, don't you? Not looked at as a pitiful or a pitiful fool a weakling our God is mighty and he is strong and he raised up his son and he exalted him to the highest of places John 13 or John twelve thirty two says this and this is Jesus speaking and I when I am lifted up from earth will draw all people to myself boy he fooled the enemy didn't he God and his foolishness he tricked the devil who took Jesus and hung him on the cross And look at we are speaking today about a high and exalted Christ who draws all men to Himself by the proclamation of the gospel. Isn't that good news? This is why it's Good Friday, folks. It's good news. Jesus is greatly exalted. And let me suggest to you that a second reason this is good news and this is a Good Friday is that God's righteousness is on display We worship a holy God, and I expect my holy God to, uh, to, to, to fight for His integrity, to fight to uphold His righteousness and His holiness. And this is what He did. Romans 3.25-26 through 26 says this, God presented Him, Jesus. Again, God presented Jesus on our behalf. He was not taken away by the Roman soldiers without God allowing that to happen. God presented Jesus as the mercy seat. Some translations will say propitiation. That's a fancy word for uh, somehow in Christ's death, Christ fully satisfied all the righteous demands of God towards the sinner. Because God is holy and righteous, he cannot overlook sin. Through the work of Jesus Christ, God is fully satisfied that His righteous standard has been met. Through union with Christ, the believer can now accept by God, by faith, Jesus Christ as our propitiation, our sacrifice. It's the great exchange, as J.R. spoke about earlier tonight. He takes our shame, our guilt, our sin, and we get His righteousness in return. That is good news. God's righteousness is on display today. Again, we worship a God who demands holiness, and he does not compromise. There's no shifting, no shadows, no favoritism from our God. He is who He is. That's why in early in the Bible, Genesis, when uh, Abraham asked, who, "Who should I tell? sent me. Tell him I am, sent you. God is holy and righteous, and today, we see his righteousness on display. And if anybody here feels wronged or been cheated, God is in control. If something in your life didn't square up with uh, how it should have uh, turned out, God is righteous. He will deal with those who hurt you and uh, inflicted sorrow and suffering upon you. He has to. This is God. The third point and final point I want to make tonight Regarding what's so good about Good Friday is this peace, not punishment, is ours. So Jesus is greatly exalted. God's righteousness is on display, and peace, not punishment, is ours. That is good news. That's probably the 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 the, the one thing that we usually hang on to, right, as Christians? I get to escape God's righteous wrath by faith in Jesus, who took it for me. He paid my sin debt. Isaiah 53.5, again, the prophet says this, but he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. That's what we call substitutionary atonement, a fancy word for the great exchange. Jesus was crushed instead of me. He was pierced instead of me. And what do I get? I get peace and healing by the blood of Jesus. That is good news. I love 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In closing, you might be asking, "Well, but, but pastor, I'm a good person. I've never murdered. I've never committed adultery. I've never lied. If you said to yourself you've never lied, well, you just lied, <laughs> and you're you violated God's commandment. This is what God has to say regarding the whole world. It's guilty. You know, we all know of Romans 3:23. I would think, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is really specific. Romans 310 eighteen says this, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. This is why we need the blood of Jesus. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Apart from the Holy Spirit drawing you to want to know God, you would never seek Him on your own. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the human condition. And God knew that that would be the human condition before it was the condition. And he had plans to fix this problem. His name is Jesus. So, tonight, today, on Good Friday, yes, gaze at the cross, at it, it, its wonder, how it reconciled us to God. But don't stay at the cross. God, through his Son, is saying, You know what? I have overcome the world. Go and make disciples. Go. Not sit there. Wondering why this had to happen. Again. It was awful that Jesus had to do that for us. But it's the love of God that compelled him to go take care of business at the cross. But there's three reasons at least we could spend here all night talking about all the goodness that came out of the crucifixion. And we'll celebrate the resurrection in a couple of days. But remember... Jesus is greatly exalted on the cross. God's righteousness is on display. And peace, not punishment, is ours who believe. I'm going to ask Ryan to come up tonight. We're going to take communion in remembrance of Jesus.